0: My name is Magali Rocha. I'm a student at MSU Denver, graduating this December with a major in philosophy and a minor legal studies. I am also a proud sister of the MSU Denver associate chapter of Sigma Lambda Gamma National Sorority Incorporated. And today we have the Honorable Christine Arguello, Colorado Federal District Judge and also founder of Law School, Yes We Can. I will give a, just a brief introduction about Judge Arguello. Judge Arguello's adult life has been a series of firsts. She was born in rural Colorado to a large and very poor family and steeped in a culture where women had subservient positions. Judge Arguello decided at a very young age that education would be the key to breaking those cultural norms. At age 13, she decided she was going to become a lawyer and she was going to obtain her law degree from Harvard. In 2008, Judge Arguello became the first Hispanic United States District Court Judge for the District of Colorado. Attaining with that appointment, another of the historic first that marked her distinguished legal career. She was the first Latina from Colorado to be admitted to Harvard University School of Law. She was the first Hispanic to be promoted to a partner at one of the then big four law firms in Colorado. And she was the first Latina to be tenured and promoted to full professor at University of Kansas School of Law. In 2020, sorry, in 2000, Judge Arguello became the first Hispanic Chief Deputy Attorney General for Colorado. She was then appointed to the United States District Court bench, where she works hard to meet the court's missions of serving the public by providing a fair and impartial forum that ensures equal access to justice in accordance with the rule of law, protects rights and liberties of all persons, and resolves cases in a timely and efficient manner. George passion is mentoring students and young adults assisting them in becoming the next generation of leaders. In 2014, George Arguello created Law School Yes We Can, a law school pipeline mentoring program in which college students interested in becoming lawyers are paired with three mentors, provided with skill building and exposure programming, and awarded scholarships to pay for an intensive LSAT prep course. The end goal of Law School Yes We Can is to level the playing field and assist the students in gaining acceptance into the law school of their choice. Judge Aguayo has received numerous, numerous honors and awards for the many glass ceilings she has shattered and for the work she has done to provide guidance and inspiration to those who wish to enter the legal profession. She has been inducted into both the Colorado Latino Hall of Fame in 2019 and the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame in 2014. More recently, she received the Judge Wiley-Daniel Lifetime Achievement Award from the from the Center of Legal Inclusiveness in 2021, the Colorado Attorney General's Legacy Award in 2021, the DBA Award of Merit in 2020, the Outstanding Latina Judge of the Year Award from the Hispanic National Bar Association in 2015, And the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Colorado Hispanic Bar Association in 2015. And today we are honored to have Judge Arguello to speak about her journey, the importance of education, diversity, and being the first of many. So again, I'll ask you again, Judge. How are you doing today?
1: Greenwell Magali. Thank you for having me, and thank you all for showing up on a Thursday evening. So. So do you, want, do you want to ask questions, or do you want me just
0: to talk? Yes, I actually have five questions that okay. revolve around our five principles, which are academics, community service, cultural awareness, social interaction, and morals and ethics. Okay. So the first question, and we all came into agreement that we just want to know, like, what steps did you take to go to law
1: school? Well, you know, first, of course, you have to get your undergraduate degree, and, and people always ask me, what you know. What did you major in? And I knew at 13 that I wanted to be a lawyer. And everybody will tell you, if you're going to be a lawyer, you should do political science. And I said, no, I didn't do political science. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, well, what if I don't like being a lawyer? What am I going to do with a political science degree? Um, maybe you can teach, but those are hard jobs to come by. Uh, I decided that what I wanted to do was, um, and that's what I always advise other pe- young people to do, is pick a subject or a a, a major that is something that you really have passion for and I thought if I don't like being a lawyer I want to teach kids because I love working with kids and so I became I I got an elementary uh, education degree uh, because I thought I if I don't if I don't uh, like being a lawyer I'm going to go teach in the elementary school because I really want to help those kids grow and I know what a, a big inspiration, my especially my fourth grade teacher and my high school English teacher were for me. Um, so, I would just say, you know, preparing yourself for law school is you want to get the best grade you can in college um, because, of course, GPA is something that they always look at. But your major should just be something that you love because if you love doing it, you're going to do much better um, in terms of your grades. Um, but keeping that GPA up is uh, high is, is really important. Um, You have to, outside of academics, you need to show the law schools that you're a leader. Um, So, and I know you're going to ask me about, you know, public service. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's what what public service does is it turns you into a leader. So you have to get involved in your community, whether it's your community that you grew up in or whether it's the school community, you just need to show law schools that you have leadership potential. Mm -hmm. And so I did um, a number of things. I was a peer tutor and I was a peer counselor at CU I went to CU Boulder undergrad. Um, so I was a, a peer counselor, peer tutor. I was also a math instructor. Um, I was good in math and I thought I was gonna major in it until I took calculus and I didn't like that. But I taught um, pre-calculus to students who weren't ready for calculus. Um, and uh, I also was a representative um, on student government. Um, from the, I was the representative from the uh, School of Education. So it's, it's trying to make yourself as well rounded as you possibly can. Academics are, are of course important, um, but I also think that you should experiment with different classes in college. Take I didn't do it. I, I knew I wanted to go to law school, so I took the courses that I thought would really help prepare me, which were writing courses. I did take political science courses, um, I took economics, which I really did not care for, but I think it was important. Um, so I think if if I had to do it over again I would take classes that were just interesting like archaeology I think that would be a really interesting class to take I never did it Um, philosophy courses are important I don't really care for philosophy but they really do help you think more like a lawyer so there are just different classes you should experiment with
0: and you did in a way answer this question but we want to know in what ways do you
1: help the community Okay, that was back then, ways that I was involved in in school. I think for me, as you mentioned, my passion is mentoring. Um, I love to to have coffees um, or lunches with uh, people who want some advice for what their next step should be, whether they're already lawyers and they just want to make a change in their job or whether they're college students like you all who don't know what you really want to do, or maybe you do, maybe you want to become a lawyer. And so I sit down and I talk with, with people, and I just give them the benefit of my advice one-on-one. Um, last week, I was um, I met a young lady from CU. She is one of the tri-execs at CU Boulder. And um, she became a finalist for the um, oh, Rhodes Fellowship and um, I was just talking to her at a dinner that I went to and she wanted to have coffee with me and then she just found out the day before she had coffee with me that she was a Rhodes uh, finalist and I told her I used to be the chair of the Rhodes uh, uh, selection committee so we actually did a uh, mock interview um, practice round with her because her interview is going to be this Friday Um, so I like doing things like that where I can actually provide the benefit of my experience and my advice to other people uh, so that they won't stumble over the same things I stumbled over. And then, as you know, Magali, you're uh, one of our fellows in our program. Um, My other passion is law school. Yes, we can, which is my way of trying to diversify the legal profession by making sure that we expand the pipeline uh, of of students of color and low-income students and first-generation students. We make that pipeline as big as possible from college into law school, and we help the students not stumble over everything I did, but give them the guidance they need to make sure they don't need to, to stumble over those obstacles, and we give them advice on, on how to make themselves the best applicant for law schools. And then we, we help them financially with because we know that you know, I couldn't afford to take a course. I just had to buy a, a book and study on my own. And we know that the, the law school admissions test is one of the most important uh, barriers. It's one of the, the biggest barriers to um, students who are first generation, low income or diverse getting into law school because you have to pass that exam with a certain score or you're not going to be admitted into many. Uh, the law schools may be of your choice. So we actually provide a scholarship, which is about $1,500 between $1,500 and $2,000 in value to pay for the law school admissions uh, uh, test prep program so those are some of the things i do
0: thank you and we all know that you were the first latina from colorado to be accepted into harvard law so can you tell us more about your experience as you're arriving into predominantly white population at harvard law
1: not only predominantly white, but predominantly rich, you know, their upper income. Um, And I will tell you, my biggest fear um, before I got to know my classmates was that they were going to be a bunch of of trust fund baby snobs um, that were going to look down their nose at me. and, And that was a really pleasant surprise that they weren't that way at all. My class was so down to earth and so into helping the community we had so much in common that I, I love to go back to my reunions and you know, I make new friendships I renew old friendships that we had um, because they were really very open and accepting of me so my classmates were the best part of that um, I, I tell people you know that my three years at Harvard that was my dream since I was 13. I have no idea when I made that decision where Harvard even was I just happened to read I I was an avid reader. I was bored. I was in the library with a friend of mine. She was talking to the librarian on a research project. And I happened to pick up a magazine that was left laying on the table. And this is where I think I, I talk a lot about serendipity and God's blessings, because I think that that was both serendipity, which is fortunate happenstance and God's blessings um, to guide me in this way, because uh, I picked up this magazine and I leafed through it. And in it was an article on lawyers and law schools. And before I read that article, I had no idea I could even become a lawyer. It, it hadn't even entered my mind because I'd never met a lawyer. But I read that article and it, it got me thinking, You know, it, it talked about how lawyers make change in society. And I said, I, I wanna impact society. And in my simple way of thinking, I thought, well, all I knew about lawyers was what I saw on TV, arguing you know, cases in court. And I said, well, lawyers like to argue and so do I. So and I'm really pretty good at arguing. And it was just kind of that simple that I said the light bulb went on in my head and I said, oh, I think I would make a good lawyer. And then the article went on to talk about law schools. And my recollection is it had a picture of Harvard Yard with the big brick buildings and the ivy all over it. And and it said Harvard was considered um, one of the best uh, law schools in the in, in the world. And I said, that's what I want. I want to go to the best law school. And as I said, I didn't even know where Harvard was located. I had no idea what it would take to get there. It was years later that I learned that um, you have to have a college degree and you have to have good grades, you have to have a good LSAT score, you needed to be well-rounded. And it just kind of all worked out for me that 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 happened. Um, I describe Harvard as the three best years of my life and the three worst years of my life together. And they were the best years because, of course, it was my dream. It had come true. My classmates were wonderful. It was the worst experience of my life because I really felt that it was, you know, my entering class, there was 600. And for college students, that doesn't seem like a lot. But for law schools, that's a really large class. And so the law school itself was over maybe 2,000, 2,300 with all the graduate students that were there. And I felt that the faculty really didn't care about me, except that I was paying for their salaries with my high tuition. Um, And it was a really hard lesson because I had always, you know, God gave me a little bit of a brain. I'm not a genius. I work really hard for the grades that I got, but it had always been the case that if I didn't get the top grade the first time, I would just study a little harder or I'd talk to the professor figure out what I did wrong. I could always set the curve the second time. And I got to Harvard and all of a sudden I was mediocre. I mean, all, all the people who get into Harvard are high achievers, hard workers. Um, Some of them are true geniuses. And I, I just couldn't crack the code of law that first year. And I got my first C ever in my life at Harvard. And to me, a C was an F. I mean, I was a total failure when I got that seat. And I thought I had aced that exam. Um, and so I I learned a really important lesson. My husband let me uh, pout and cry and feel sorry for myself the first day. And when I got up to do that the second day, he said, enough. Uh, he said, did you know that material? And I said, yes, I did. And that's why it hurts that I got this grade that I just don't understand how I got such a, a low grade. And he says, well, Christy if you knew the material, when you get out to be a lawyer, that's all that counts, is that you knew the material, you'll go out and represent people, and you will do a good job, and the grade is not important. He said, what does it matter what your law professor thought? And you know, up until that point, it had always been about the grades, because everything's about GPA. Um, And I thought about that, and I thought, wow, such simple thought, but it's true. Um, I did go and talk to my professor to figure out what I did wrong. He gave me an A-plus exam and he gave me that was back when you actually did physical blue books. So he gave me a blue book with an A-plus on it and gave me mine. I went out and he let me compare them for like as long as I I wanted. And I think I spent about two hours going through it. And I came back and he said, did you see the difference? And I said, no, I saw the difference between an A-plus and a B, but not a C. And he goes, well, you missed this one. I said, no, I didn't miss that. It was just on a, a page. That was down down the the the, the way. He said you missed this point, and I said no. That's still that's over here. I just didn't have it organized the way he thought it should be organized, and so he didn't give me points for some of the my my answers. So, sum it up: very short lesson there. It's I had always thought it was important to be the best, and I learned that you can't always be the best. That there will always be people smarter than you and there will always be people that are not as smart as you and all you can do all you can control is that you give it a hundred percent and after that i was content with knowing that i was giving it a hundred percent even if i couldn't be the top in the class and you know people didn't understand that they said what does it matter if you're mediocre you're with the cream of the crop and i said when you're used to being the best and you're in the middle and you're just mediocre it matters but i learned to to understand that it was more about the knowledge than it was the grade anymore
0: Judge Arguello, we want to know what the most important. What was the most important thing that helped you become a judge?
1: I think um, you know when you, especially a judgeship like I have. I'm in the federal court, so I am. I am actually selected by Senate. The two senators from Colorado. My name is sent to the president. Usually, what they do for a vacancy, they'll send three names to the president. Then the president has to select one person. And then you have to undergo this intense fbi background check so they send the fbi everywhere i mean they were sending people to talk to neighbors that i knew when i was young when i was in kansas i mean it was it was amazing how deep they they tried because they don't want to have people who have skeletons in their closet and so i think that the one thing that helped me the most i mean i, I was a good lawyer i had a good solid reputation But one of the things I'm most proud of is one of those FBI agents said to a friend of mine after he interviewed her and she told me, she said, is this woman for real? We cannot find anyone who will say anything negative about her. And I've always tried to live my life by the golden rule is that you treat others the way you want them to treat you. So I've always been respectful. I've always been courteous. I've always been polite. I've always been nice. I I truly love people. And so even when I get upset or I'm in a conflict situation, I don't let my emotions get the best of me. I still treat that person, even if I'm upset with them, with the deepest of respect. And that was one of the things that helped me the most, because if, if there had been people that came back and said, oh no, she doesn't have the right temperament for being a judge, I, I very well may not have been confirmed. So that's one thing It's just your reputation in the community for being a good person, just being a nice, respectful, professional person. Because one of the concerns they have most about judges is you give them that black robe and I call it black robitis, is if you have an arrogant personality anyway, with that robe on, it just exacerbates it. And they don't want people who put that robe on and have the power and authority that a judge judge does to feel that they're better than everybody else. So I think that's number one. Number two is just being a good lawyer. Um, I did always my my best to, you know, when I presented uh, an argument to the judge in court or took a deposition, I was prepared. And I think that, you know, just putting your best foot forward, always being prepared um, and then being professional um, are the things that really help prepare me most to be a judge. And I will tell you, just this afternoon, I had, I just finished a trial. My jury was out deliberating, but I had hearings going on. And, and the hardest thing that I have to do are my, my sentencings. And I had a, this was not a sentencing, it was a change of plea, where you have to advise the defendant of all the rights that he'll be giving up. And you have to make sure that his, his, plea is, is a knowing plea that he knows what he's pleading guilty to he knows what the consequences are that I could sentence him to um, and we walk through it. and at the very end I always tell them okay your sentencing hearing is going to take place down the road a few, few months from now there's going to be this report that's going to be done on you by the probation office and it's going to give me a lot of information about you but at the sentencing hearing itself I'm going to I'm sure hear from your lawyer an argument, and I'll hear from the government's lawyer, but you have an opportunity, they call it an allocution. I, I say, sir, you have an opportunity to tell me what you want me to know about you. And it's important for me to know, because even though this report is gonna tell me a lot of things about you know who your parents were, who your siblings were, how you grew up, what your education was, what your criminal history is, what your employment history is, those to me are all just words on paper. They don't really reflect who you are as a person. And I tell them, it's important for me to try to understand who you are as a person and why you did what you did. So I said, will you give a lot of thought to what you want me to know? And you know, that man could not, he, he was 59. He'd been in and out of the system, but he could not talk to me. He almost cried. And finally he said in a very halting voice, he said, yes, your honor. And it was, it. was I looked him in the eye when I said all that to him and it was just, I think he felt respected, and he felt that I really cared about him. And I think a lot of times the defendants that appear before me think that they're worthless, that they are not respected by society, that they really don't have a place. And I try to treat my uh, the defendants who come before me with that respect to let them know that I I respect them as people. And yes, they may have done something wrong, but I want to try to understand before I impose sentence why they did what they did and, and what they want me to know about them. So I think you know, that to me is really important um, in terms of that empathy that I have for my fellow man.
0: Thank you, Judge Arguello. And now I wanna open the floor for anyone that has questions for Judge Arguello.
2: Anybody
3: on the mic? Oops. You can go first, Isabel.
2: Okay, thank you. Um hi, my name is Isabel Martinez and a question that I had for you was there's a lot of talk about what we should do in the classroom and what we should do for our community, but what is something that you would suggest for somebody who is trying to pursue a degree in law but for their personal health or keep them going in pursuing a career in law uh,
1: in terms of i i guess i'm not quite understanding what do you mean in, in personal health
2: there's a lot of times that it can be discouraging going into a field where there's not a lot of people who are like you uh it's very difficult even going to college and finding people who are a predominantly white institution pretty much um, I guess my question is, how do you how did you maintain your focus on not getting discouraged by those types of things?
1: Yes, I, I understand that. And that's one of the reasons I, ha- I set up my program because I said it it is the law is still a very white male uh, path. Um, you know, when I walk into a room of you know lawyers from the bar association, For the most part i am maybe well it's a little better now but i'm maybe one of a handful of women of color and you have to learn how you have to learn how to navigate in that um but that's one of the reasons i set my program because i said it's not changed much in the 30 years that i've been a lawyer the bar the the face of the bar hasn't really changed all that much it's still not diverse and i want to expand that pipeline to make sure that we have more people going in of color, one to support one another, but also because our society needs it. I mean, we're, we're becoming a much more diverse society and we need people who have the experiences of others who are going to be in the court system. Um, so I think one of the things you just have to do is, is sometimes it can be a little bit of a lonely existence, but I think, you know, what year are you, Isabel?
2: I am um, a third
1: year. Okay, so you're you're a third uh, a, a junior? Yes. I, I would recommend if you're interested in the law um, is to, our program, we just started accepting um, seniors and even graduates of college already. We started with freshmen. Magali started with us as a freshman. Um, but what we do is we try to get you connected with other lawyers, not just of color, because I think it's important for you to learn how to interact with white lawyers, you know, male white lawyers who may have come from privilege and it's important for them to see you as a person, you know, and and so you represent Latinas to them and we start breaking down all these stereotypes and biases that people may have. But I would invite anyone here who is interested in becoming a lawyer um, to apply to our program. We set out the applications, I think we're going to put them out the first of January you just need to go to our website and Magali can get you that that address, but it's lawschoolyeswecan.org um, and apply because what we will do is we will network you with a lot of lawyers um, in the community. And that's the start because you'll you'll come to find out that, you know, they may be white and you may not have a lot in common with them, but most people, especially the ones that, that apply to be mentors in my program, care about people. And they really don't care what the color of your skin is or what your last name is. They just want to help you. And and, and we never have trouble. I have three lawyers per, per student. That's a lot of lawyers. I think we have 24 um, students in the class this year. So that's like almost 75 mentors that I need. We do two lawyers and one law student. I never am looking, I, well, I look for, for mentors, but we're never lacking with mentors because People volunteer because they understand how important it is, either because they didn't have that mentor and they understand how much better they could have done if they just had that guidance or they did have that type of mentor and they realized how much it helped them. So I think that the important thing is to just try to get yourself networked in that community and you can start doing that with law school. Yes, we can. We started in 2014 uh, with only freshmen. And uh, we had our first two because they were freshmen, they had two, four years of college and then three years of law school. And and then I have some students that take a gap year or two. Um, We had our first two students graduate from law school um, this past May. I have five students in law school right now. Um, Three of them are at CU Law School. Uh, One is an African-American woman um, and uh, two are Latina women. And then we have one African-American woman who's at Howard and then I have an African-American male who is an early admit to Harvard. So, you know, they're all over the place and and, and I would invite you that if you're really interested in becoming a lawyer, then talk to Magali about the program. We do require you to attend workshops. We require you to have a monthly meeting, at least one, one monthly meeting in person, face to face with your mentors, but as many conversations as you need. But you will get then the guidance and the mentoring that will help you, help ease you into that path and give you exposure to other attorneys that you can then turn to and not feel like you're the only one.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, I actually have looked into law school. Yes, we can. Before I had the plans to apply this
1: year. Great, great. So the application should go up the first of, of January and you have till the end of February to submit your application. And then I mean, it's a fairly easy application. You just have to give us some information about yourself and then you answer five, I think, essay questions. That are very easy. It's really more for us to get to know you know more about you um, and to see what your writing is like, because we need to know how much we need to help you with your writing, because what lawyers do is they communicate either uh, verbally or in writing. And so that's part of what the application process is. You need to submit a resume and the application form, and that's pretty much it. And then we decide who we're going to interview. And then we decide whether you should be admitted to the program or not. So. I would encourage any one of you who are interested in, in becoming a lawyer to to check out the the website and see if you want to become part of the program. Thank you. We've also worked very hard. Um, uh, our my executive director. I think we have. We, we never had paid internships, and that was one thing I said we need to get paid internships because. I said, most of the kids who apply to my program who are in it are low income and they have to work their way through college. They don't have the luxury of being able to, if they do, uh, we, we we impress upon them the importance of internships, especially in the legal field if you wanna to go to law school, but it's really hard to do unpaid internships. So we have really expanded the number of paid internships. And these are internships that are paying at $20 plus an hour, um, especially for the summer, time when you're you're trying to save up money um and then we have a lot of internships with they're not paid but like with the attorney general's office so you can learn what they do there. internships with judges just so that you can see what lawyers really do magali you have have you talked to them about the internship you had because you had one of our most prestigious yeah the whole year internship
0: i have not yeah so i was very fortunate enough to get a paid internship at uh, the federal court. And I worked with Judge Arguello. I worked with um, her staff and her lawyers. It was one year. And I think it was still through COVID, when COVID was starting out. But it was still an amazing experience. I learned a lot from the U.S. probation to bankruptcy. I worked with a lot of people, met, made a lot of great connections with people with really high positions
1: yeah and learned a lot about the federal court system and that you know there's so much to it and so many different opportunities and we were very fortunate to have Magali be you know chosen because they only did seven of these across the United States and Magali was selected to be one of them so any other questions I have a question.
4: Hi everybody, my name is Savannah Francois. I'm Zooming in from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I am a current 1L at Widener Commonwealth Law School. So I was super interested in joining in on this conversation today. So I thank you all for having me. Um, I think my question, something that I've been curious about as my first semester of law school has been happening is that I've honestly been feeling like I can't advocate for my community and for the um, for, like I can't communicate about my heritage the same way that I used to be able to in undergrad. I was an advocate in undergrad, and I, I was involved in a lot of cultural organizations, and I really was invested in making my community a better place. But I feel like in law school, I don't really have the opportunity to do that. I'm... Um, <coughs> I'm I'm a part of the Latin American Law Students Association, but I feel like because my law school is so small, I don't have that opportunity to advocate for my community in the way that I should. So I guess the question that I have is, what are some ways that law students can become advocates outside of the classroom and outside of that, like, law space? Well,
1: um, I would say your first year, so you don't get much choice in what courses you can take. You have to take the prescribed number of courses and it won't be to your second year that you get to, to, to have more freedom on that. But I think one way related to law is to get involved in some of the clinics that they have. One, that'll give you great practical experience, but it will also, you know, if you're in the defender clinic or you're in the immigration clinic, it helps you represent people that, that you can relate to and who need your, 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 your help. I'm not sure what the population is. What city are you in? I'm in Harrisburg,
4: Pennsylvania. So it's it's pretty diverse. Um, it's not predominantly white whatsoever. There's a lot of people from Nepal and we have a really high Hispanic population, a really high Asian populations. So my area is pretty diverse.
1: So have you checked in to see what kind of uh, organizations they have, community organizations they have? I know when I was teaching in Kansas, uh, Lawrence was not very diverse, but, but, you know, I could go to Topeka to get involved with some of the Latino groups there. Um, I was actually uh, in support were just coming into existence. And so as I was the professor at uh, KU, that was the liaison between the law students and the local bar and of courts are great ways to get some mentoring and to get yourself involved um, in, in the legal community in, the, the, the city where you're at uh, and I don't know if you've heard of the INSA court and generally but they do either your law school will pay for it or the bar will pay and and you go once a month to like a dinner but with all of these lawyers and they'll have different um, topics on it and then you become part of a, a tutelage group so that you have you know a network of local lawyers that you can get to know and and hopefully they'll help advise you um, but I think that may be, you know, one of the one of the ways to to get yourself more acquainted with your bars, with your um, local uh, organizations.
4: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay. Anybody else? I'm
3: sorry, I had a couple of questions. I was waiting for the end because I have like three, um, so I apologize. My first question: Since you work with a lot of students of many um, types of identities, um, what is your advice for undocumented students to be successful, to be admitted, and follow through with a law school, since there is um, financial and
1: citizenship barriers? That that was the really the saddest part. Is we're working on that right now because I had a student who was with our program. He graduated with his undergrad degree he was in Teach for America for a year he got admitted to law school and then he couldn't get the financial aid and they gave him some scholarships but he still needed to come up with about 17,000 and he could not borrow the money because he's a DACA student um so um he he told me if he could find a cosigner. Um, they would give him this loan. And I said, send me the the paperwork. And I I called him and I said, no, you can't sign this. They're charging you credit card rates on this loan, which we're talking 17, 18%. I said, you cannot possibly do that. Um, So I said, I really feel badly, but what you're going to need to do, I think, is withdraw from law school, come back to Colorado. We'll figure out what we're going to do. And he's actually now... um, doing paralegal work for one of our board members. Um, so he's, he's getting paid well, he's gonna hopefully save up his money so he won't have to borrow, he can make up the difference. Uh, but we're also trying to figure out, working with local lawyers to see, and, and banks to see if there's any way we can get um, scholarship funding for DACA students because they're, they're not, uh, nobody will own money to them. And so they can get in, but that's kind of a barrier um, for them. And so that's, that's a real problem. And we're trying to, 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 deal with that. And I was heartbroken and he was heartbroken, um, that he had to drop out of law school, but he, he will go back. I said, we will help get you through law school. Yeah, I guess,
3: um, I've told like Magali this, that I'd also wanted to pursue law and, I didn't want to make it seem like a waste of time because it wouldn't be. It is a dream of mine. But, like, I always think about that Mm -hmm. financial aspect and my citizenship and how it could just be very difficult. So I was just curious on how your program
1: or just how in general. um, We have have a number of DACA students. We just had not faced this issue because this young man was the first DACA student who actually went on into law school. And we realize now that it's a major problem. And so we're just working with him. We'll we'll try to figure out. And we're working with some of the local law firms to say, can you help us figure out what we can do for these students? Yeah,
3: and one step at a time. It's a very, it's a big monster to face for sure. So thank you for doing that and advocating for this student. Um, Another question I did have, um, so right now, like, me as a lot of us right now um, we're undergrad students and for law school would you recommend to go directly into law school um, after graduating from undergrad or
1: wait a little bit and work in the field I I think that depends on each individual I did high school to college to law school immediately I did fine but I know other people who want to take a gap year or two Um, maybe it's to save up money. Maybe it's just because you're kind of tired of school and you want to give it your all. Um, I think taking if I had taken a year too off and did something like a paralegal position, something in the professional world, I would have been better off in law school just because one of the things that I noticed when I was in law school is a lot of the concepts, I had no foundation to put them to. So, if I'd been in the professional world, I would have had a better understanding of what maybe trusts were, um, because you know, I wasn't a trust fund baby. My my parents didn't have any money; they they couldn't even afford to to send me to college. I had to pay my way through, and so I think that there is a real benefit to taking a year, a gap year, or two off if you're going to use it to work in a professional environment, so you understand how to work in a professional environment. And you can gain some of the concepts um, so that you have context when you get to law school as to what some of these things mean. Um, but I think that's, that's just a personal decision that you need to, to make for yourself based on where you are in life. Um, some people just need that break. I wanted to go straight through. I wanted to, to get my law degree and be a lawyer as soon as I could. But I have other students that um, are taking a year off or maybe two years off. Part of it will be um, if you take, I have some students who took the LSAT, did not do as well as they wanted to do on it. And so they just decided, and I think it was wise, um, to take a year off work um, in that year, but also then study to try to bring their score up on their LSAT because the higher your LSAT score, the more likelihood you'll get into the school you want and the higher your asset score, the better financial aid you will get from the universities or from the law schools. So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. It's just up to you.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you for answering that question. I have other questions, but I feel like somebody else should ask questions before I continue to go if anybody else has anything. If I, you guys want me to keep going with my questions. Um, another question I had was, um, what are some academic or professional obstacles that you had during
1: your journey? Um, and how did you overcome them? Academic obstacles I really didn't have, um, because I just knew that to get into Harvard, I was going to have to be the best student I could possibly be. So academics were my number one priority. I had to work. But I never let my work get in the in the in the way of my getting an A in the class, um, and I would I mean I remember having classmates that would say Are you going to the party? You know, it's a Wednesday night. Are you going to the party? So we have an exam tomorrow in our class. I said Ah, oh, you know, and I, I said No, I'm not going. I have to study for this exam. Um, so academics were never an obstacle to me, and I think that they they and it's not because as I said I I am somewhat intelligent, but I am no means a genius i can't i don't have a photographic memory i i have to study a lot um in order to get the grades that i got and so i think that that for you all the number one thing that that you need to do is make sure your academics are your number one priority and i know especially for latinas it's hard because your family has so many expectations for you to help out with the family um you know family in in my culture my family it came first um my dad almost didn't let me go to college because my mom was very sick and he said i was gonna have to stay home and take care of the family um she had been bedridden for a while and i was the one i was the oldest daughter and in my my family boys did not have to do housework so i it fell to me to be the mom i was the one who you go to work come home make dinner um and you know then take care of my younger siblings and my dad a month before i was supposed to go off to college said, he thought I don't think you can go to college. And I'm like, what? I could just see my whole future going down the drain. And my mom got out of bed. She dragged herself out of bed and said, no, Christy's gonna go to college. The other kids have to step in and help. And so I know that you as Latinos may face a lot of that. And I know some of the kids in our program do. And I I have to sit down and talk to their parents and say, you know, I'm sorry. You know, your daughter cannot be babysitting for your other daughter who happened to have a kid and isn't married because she needs a babysitter, your daughter's in college and that has to be her number one priority. And sometimes I have to have those talks with the parents because they just kind of think that that's the obligation. And of course, we all felt like we do have that responsibility to the family. So I think sometimes you just need to kind of put your foot down and let them know that no, your academics come first. I hope that answered your question. Yes,
3: thank you. Um, And I think you brought up a great point Like that's a Latina we have, um, just different expectations, like, you know, family expectations. So thank you for touching on that. Um, last question that I have is since you're doing such great work and you, um, your role is just so big. Um, how do you balance, um, like your work
1: and your personal life? Like, how does that look like for you? That's the hardest thing. I, I, I am such a workaholic. You know, I will, I will admit that. And it's always because I always felt like I had to prove myself up until the t- my, my husband died almost three years ago. And it was his death that made me realize that maybe I had wasted so much of the time we could have been together because I had to prove I could be the best lawyer. I had to prove I would be the best judge. And I worked and, and work was work was my sanity. Um, it was through the grief that I went through after he died and through COVID actually, because we had to close the courts down. And I finally had time to kind of back up and think about my life and where it was going. And the one regret I have is that I spent so much time at work that I, I missed out on opportunities with my husband before he passed away. Um, so I will say, I am not the best to give you advice on balancing your life, but I will tell you that you really do need to balance your life. Um, It cannot all be about work. And I don't know why I felt like I, well, I know why I have, I felt like I had to prove myself because I was the first in so many things. And if you're the first, you are setting expectations. And if I failed, they would say, oh yeah, because she was an affirmative action hire or, you know, she got it because she was, she was Latina, not because she was qualified. And I just felt I couldn't have that because I was carrying the weight of all Latinas on my shoulder, um, and I, I, part of that was self-imposed, but I, I really wish that I had done things differently, that I had taken more time to stop and smell the roses, taken more mental health breaks and not just made my whole life about work. I was lucky. My husband was, um, as supportive as he was. I was able to have a family We I have four kids, but that was because my husband was a school teacher and he agreed that he would sacrifice his career so I could have mine. So he was the dominant caregiver for our kids. He was the cook. Uh, He was the one who was the the main house, you know, keeper. He was kind of like the super mom, super dad. Um, And and he did it because that's what he wanted for me. He wanted me to be successful in my career. And uh, if I can give you guys one piece of advice, it's like when you find a partner, make sure your partner is not going to be intimidated by the fact that you may be better educated and you may be making more money than him um, my, or her. My um, dad asked me when I got into Harvard, I'd already been married. I got married as a freshman and I wasn't going to get married, but I met my husband and there were not many Latinos like him um, who would cook and clean and wasn't intimidated by my my intellect. Um My dad asked me when I got into Harvard, I went home really excited. I said, Dad, I got into Harvard Law School. His first comment was, why can't you go to medical school? Because he wanted a doctor. His second comment was, um, have you thought about how this is going to ruin your marriage? And I said, what do you mean? And he says, men do not like their wives being better educated or making more money than them. And my husband got that from some of his friends, too. How are you going to let her do this? And my husband was very self-confident and assured. He says it's not her money and my money. It's our money. And if she makes more, I have more to spend. He would make a joke out of it. But you really need to make sure you find a partner that is going to support you and help you move forward because life out there is hard enough. You don't need to have your partner trying to hold you back because he's jealous or intimidated by the fact that you are being so successful. So choose well.
3: Yeah, um, thank you for sharing your experience and all of your insight. Really, I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm done with my questions. Somebody else could go. <laughs> so, Dominique,
1: where can... do you go to school? Sorry, what was I'm that? I'm sorry, Mariana, where do you go to school?
3: I'm going uh, to school for social work as of right now.
1: And what school are you at? MSU Denver. Okay, all right. And mm-hmm. what year are you? I'm a third year as well. All right. So you need to, if you're interested in law, you need to, you all need to consider my program. No, no, yeah, I'm really excited that we we started admitting, this was the first year that we actually admitted seniors and um, people who had already graduated. And we were able to do that because uh, Western Union gave us a $20,000 grant and that allowed us to expand our class and we admitted six. Uh, who were either seniors or already graduated from, from uh, college. And I'm really excited about that.
3: Yeah, um, I know Magali has told me all about it, and I've told her how much I really am interested in like immigration policy and how I want to be like an immigration lawyer, just because it hits home, you know, mm-hmm. as a DACA student, undocumented person. Um, but yeah, thank you for providing this opportunity and for creating such a pathway for people like me and... Um, uh, yeah, just thank you. I really appreciate it.